Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 58 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also the coordinator of the training program within the association. Thank you for downloading and listening. I really appreciate it. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as Australian Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. Just go to www.patreon.com slash observersnotebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, visit us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for AP. ALPO Astronomy or Observer's Notebook and you can link up with us there and if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast please subscribe, that way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook and now, episode 58 of the Observer's Notebook All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we have a very special guest, uh, ALPO member, solar observer, uh, expert solar observer, uh, John O'Neill. Welcome to the podcast, John. Oh, thank you, Tim. I'm honored to be a part of ALPO and to give back to an organization that I've loved, enjoyed, and respected for so many years. And I I love your podcast, too. Well, thank you very much. I have a lot of fun doing them. They're... they're, uh... They're fun, and I I appreciate your uh, positive feedback. Why don't we just you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get into the, our subject? Okay. Well, I'm a I'm 65 years old. I'm a retired steel worker from Northern Ohio, uh, where my wife Dorothy and I worked at United States Steel until we retired in 2016, and we moved south to Statesville, North Carolina. Uh. Dorothy and I and our four fur babies live on a little six-acre ranch that's partially wooded in the foothills of North Carolina. And we have reasonably good skies here. Uh, in Ohio, I, I lived in Amherst, Ohio, which is up near Cleveland along the shore of Lake Erie. And the light pollution was so bad there that in 2008, I decided that I was going to give up astrophotography. Hmm. And that's when I started getting into solar observing and imaging. Okay. Uh, in 2012, I started a solar imaging group on Facebook with uh, Dorothy and my longtime friends, Pamela and Randy Shivak. And Pamela's been on the podcast. Uh, yes, I remember that one. Yeah. Uh, and our group, Solar Activity, has almost 25,000 members worldwide now, and we actively promote solar astronomy outreach observation and imaging yeah i'm a member of that facebook group and it is 
active. I mean, there's things every single day posted on there. It's really nice, and you have a lot of active members. Uh, yeah, it, it's great. Uh, no matter what time something happens on the sun, if there's a flare or a CME or a huge prominence, it can be 3 in the morning and someone on somewhere on the other side of the world's imaging it. So we get to see pretty much what's going on 24-7 through this site. That's fantastic. Now, you've been an amateur astronomer for, I think you say, 50 years, something like that. Yeah. What was your first telescope? <laughs> oh, gee, that brings back memories. <laughs> uh, my my first scope was a 60-millimeter Sears refractor. You've uh, probably seen those. I, I think that was my first telescope as well. <laughs> oh, wow. I bought mine at an auction for $7. Ugh. Uh, with my paper route money when I was 15 years old. Fantastic. Uh, my first serious scope I bought in the early 70s from a new company out of California, Mead Instruments. Uh-huh. Uh, they were custom-making telescopes at the time when they first started, so I ordered up a 8-inch F7.5 with an oversized secondary so I could fill the film plane with my Olympus OM-1 Astro camera. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Uh, that's wild so yeah i've been interested in imaging for a long long time that's good and what got you interested in the sun oh the sun um partly was my friend randy shivak uh he and i have known each other since the 70s when we were both in the black river astronomical society okay for, for about 40 years and he's always been interested in the sun and when I determined that I could no longer compete doing astrophotography because my night skies were so poor, then I started hanging out with Randy and saying, hey, uh, I, I need to get involved with this solar stuff. And I never looked back. <laughs> and you, you've really gotten into it. You built yourself a solar helioscope? Yes. Uh, well, it's not completed yet, but I am working on it. Okay. Yeah, I've seen photographs on your Facebook page of your setup. It's huge. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, that, that's quite the endeavor. <laughs> but the subject that we're here to talk about today has been in the news this week. Um, it's the Parker Solar Probe. Why don't you give us a little overview of that? All right. Well, to start, we'll, we'll go back in time a little bit. Uh, scientists have realized for many years that a Carrington-type event, which... Uh, Carrington saw back in way back in 1859, I believe it was. Uh, but if an event like that were to occur today, it could have a significant impact on our technologically advanced society. Now, what's a Carrington event? Uh, Carrington event was a huge solar flare. Uh, this flare was so intense that it burned down telegraph stations around the world. It burned up the wires and the telephone poles and it some say it electrocuted uh the telegraph operators but i haven't found any confirmed evidence to that but am i uh, i did find things saying that the wires had uh like ethereal ghosts flitting up and down the wires and uh you could just touch the keyer and it would electric it would shock you and they used you know morse code you need a battery connected to your system so in order to prevent damage operators were unhooking the batteries and shortly thereafter discovered that there was so much 
energy in the atmosphere that they could still send code without the batteries hooked up. Uh, and this was all the result of this huge solar flare. And they're saying that today, if something like this Carrington event were to happen now, it would permeate our entire electrical grid. It would burn out every transformer in the world. Oh, my God. And cause significant damage. Uh, yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> no. So that's the impetus that prompted the solar probe. Uh, it's like, well, you, you, you see how today when we have a hurricane, we get weeks and weeks of notice. Uh, in as little as 50, 60 years ago, hurricanes just sort of swept up on the land and Nobody knew they were coming, but because we've improved our meteorology to the point that we can predict them days and weeks out, we're hoping to use the solar probe to learn more about what's going on in the sun and be able to predict when these CMEs are coming at us and take appropriate steps to mitigate or at least reduce the effects of that. Okay, so it's basically monitoring the sun's weather. Yes. Okay, so who's Parker? Okay, Parker. Uh, back in 1958, there was a young up-and-coming physicist named Eugene Norman Parker. And he proposed a number of concepts about how stars, including our sun, give off energy. And he called this cascade of energy the solar wind. And he actually termed coined the term solar wind, and he described an entire complex system of plasmas, magnetic fields, energetic particles that make up this phenomena called the solar wind. He also theorized an explanation for the superheated solar corona, which is millions of degrees hotter than the surface of the sun itself, contrary to what one would expect. Here on Earth, we know if we stand by a fire, we get hot, and when we move away from it, we cool off. Well, on the sun, as you move away from the sun up to a certain point, it gets hotter, and nobody really understands the physics of what's going on there. Uh, so much, much of Parker's work, and a lot of it's been proven by subsequent subsequent spacecraft defined a great deal of what we know today about how the Sun-Earth system interacts. And it's interesting that when Parker published his paper back in 1958, he had to submit his paper to a panel of three judges. And if that would have happened today, his paper would have been called fake news. Uh, <laughs> two of the editors... Two of the editors that were required to read his paper uh, said it was hogwash, fake news. This, this is crazy. They, they even advised him that before he submitted another paper to them, he'd go to the library and read up on the sun. Wow, that's, how, that's crazy. That's how, yeah, that's how much they thought he was off. But fortunately, the third editor and the one with veto power read his paper and realized the significance of it. And overrode the first two, and fortunately for us today, the paper was published. And you can go download and read a copy of his paper. It's titled, The Dynamics of the Interplanetary Gas and Magnetic Fields. 
by Eugene Newman Parker. Hmm. And if you Google that, you, you can actually get his paper and really and read it. Uh, maybe I'll find that and link it to the podcast. Oh, great. Yeah, I could do that. Cool. So he's he's like the father of this type of solar astronomy. Yes, yes. And and it's it's really cool that you know, here we are some sixty years later and his his paper is still one of the leading treatises on the sun and the solar wind and what's going on up there. So Fantastic. Interesting. Okay, now this week the solar probe I believe uh is the closest to the sun than any probe we've had so far? Absolutely, yes it is. Now uh, how's it being protected? Well the, it's got a heat shield. Uh well, if you think you think about the probe, think about uh, remember the cartoon uh, Scooby Doo, and oh, yes. they, yeah, they drove around in this little micro mini bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's about how big the probe is, and it's about the same size as that bus, and it's got an eight foot diameter heat shield that will face the sun and safeguard everything that falls behind it with within its umbra. Uh, so as the probe approaches the sun, temperatures on this heat shield are going to reach 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. But the spacecraft and its instruments, and th- this kind of blew my mind when I was told this, the craft will be at a comfortable temperature of about 85 degrees behind this heat shield. Wow. And basically that's due to the low density of materials, even in that close to the sun, the You've got all this stuff going on, but it's the particles are so far apart that it only reaches about 85 degrees there. That's wild. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. The shield's made of two panels of superheated, uh, I don't know why they call it this, but it's called a carbon-carbon composite. And it's sandwiching a lightweight, four-and-a-half-inch thick carbon foam core. Carbon foam, huh? Yeah, with a carbon-carbon carbon, carbon composite over top of that. Uh, then it's sprayed with a specially formulated white coating, which will reflect as much of the sun's energy away from the craft as possible. Uh, the interesting thing, I thought you would think this thing would be super massive to do its job, but even though it's four and a half inches thick and eight foot in diameter it only weighs 160 pounds wow and here on earth the foam core is like 97 percent air uh so, so <laughs> is it is it aerogel pardon me is it aerogel um i don't know uh yeah because st- i worked on the stardust mission at jpl and that's what we used for our sample return it was it was pieces of aerogel that were inside the collector Okay, that could very well and be. That's, uh, and that's like 99.7% air. Okay, okay. That's probably that's either a, that or something very similar then, I would say. It's a great insulator, too. Yeah, okay. It could be the same stuff. Interesting. Huh. Uh, so, uh, how close to the sun is it right now? Oh, gee, you got me on that one. Uh, I don't know right now. Okay. Um, I know it's, it's past the... It's past Venus already. It's done its first flyby, and it's going to reach perihelion within three to five days. Oh, okay. Uh, 
the original date was November 1st. I think that's moved back to November 5th now. It'll reach its first perihelion. Okay. Now, you're involved with a lot of outreach with this through JPL Solar System Ambassadors and also your own solar group, right? Yes. And you yep. had the ability to go to the launch. Oh, yes. Why yes. don't you that... share, share a little bit about that experience? Okay. Well, Dorothy and I and our our close friends, again, Pam and Randy Shivak, uh, were afforded a unique opportunity to go to the Banana Creek launch viewing site that that is a NASA site. Uh, And we were given passes to the Kennedy Space Center and were permitted to attend the press briefings held daily uh, before the launch. And that was so cool. We were actually able to hear the late-breaking news and updates on launch progress. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get an opportunity to sit down and talk with our heroes, Mr. Parker and Nikki mm-hmm. Fox. But it was great to be in the same room with them. I'm sure. And other prominent NASA officials and getting updated daily. About uh, the delays and <laughs> launch, yeah. launch state changes. Because it was delayed a few times, wasn't it? Yes. So, so we owe a great debt of gratitude to our friend David Wexler. I, I think you might know David. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played a significant role in facility facilitating our acquisition of the passes uh he got the tickets from the shine group which was a solar heliospheric and interplanetary environment conference which is a group of grad students and pros from nasa who arranged to make these tickets available to people so thanks to david for getting us for our tickets and so dorothy and i gathered up our we, we call him Harvey the RV, and we put him in tow, and two days later, we were in Florida and setting up at the Jetty Park campground, and thanks to David, we spent a couple days uh, just walking around, viewing the Kennedy Space Center, taking bus tours, attending the press briefings, and of course, visiting the local tourist traps in the area, which there are more than a few. Uh, Cocoa Beach. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I love Cocoa Beach. Times, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> oh, finally, we got back to the. We after spending all day for two days at the space center, being tourists, we arrived back on the eleventh at midnight, and boarded buses that took us to the launch site, and. I was a little disappointed. The rocket was just a little tiny speck across the waterway. Uh, But we sat there until 3.29 a.m. with one minute and 58 seconds left on the countdown clock when they scrubbed the launch. Oh, yeah. Oh, you talk about tired, exhausted, disappointed. The last mission I worked on, we had three scrubs going into launch and the first oh one was God. first one was 10 seconds before launch <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you got all your cameras ready to go and you're like what <laughs> what happened here <laughs> yeah it's it's a little Uh-oh. disappointing but yeah it's it's part of space flight now what kind of launch vehicle was it it was a ula delta four heavy oh big one uh, oh my gosh uh seeing the flame come out of all three nozzles mm-hmm. uh side by side as it took off it, it was tremendous. So when it was canceled the first night, we were disappointed. Uh, but I was kind of a little excited because 
I didn't realize how far away the launch pad was. So I only had a 300 millimeter lens with me the first night. Second night when I came back, I had a 1250 millimeter lens. With me. <laughs> so I was after able to capture uh, still images of the liftoff with the 1250 millimeter lens. And I also brought along my Sam Young eight millimeter fisheye and did one of those streak images that you see so much. Uh, I think I've seen that image too. It's very nice. That turned out, that turned out very well. And I'm, I'm really quite proud of that one. Uh, but yeah, I would encourage anybody that's, if you've never seen a launch, go to, go to Florida and see one. Oh my golly. They are just, they're just tremendous. The earth shakes under your feet. Mm-hmm. You, you can feel the vibration in your chest and <laughs> yeah, I live I live in California and we go up to Vandenberg for the launch. That's where most of mine go from. So Oh, okay. It's great. It's pretty wild up there as well. Yeah, I get close so access. You know the feeling. I know the feeling and you're right. <laughs> I mean, if anybody has a chance to do it, this is def- definitely go see a launch or two. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are the sci- basic science objectives of the Parker Solar Probe? Okay, basically there's three science objectives uh number one is to trace the flow of energy that heats and accelerates uh the solar corona and the solar wind Uh, they want to know what mechanisms make that energy flow and makes it accelerate Uh, number two they want to determine the structure and the dynamics of the plasma and the magnetic fields at the source of the solar wind you know, we feel the solar wind here on Earth, but it's nothing like what's happening close to the chromosphere. Uh, and the third is to explore mechanisms that accelerate and that transport these energetic particles. And to do this, the craft has four instrument suites. Uh, they're called Fields, ESIS, Whisper, and Sweep. Uh, and to give a brief overview, the fields instrument captures the scale and shape of electric and magnetic fields in the atmosphere. Uh, the ESIS instrument is going to measure the energy levels of the particles associated with solar winds, solar flares, coronal mass ejections. Uh, there's two ESIS suites. One is to measure low, like thousands of kilowatt electron volts and the other is the high ESIS and it's going to measure in the millions of kilowatt electron volts. Then there's the whisper suite which is a camera and if you go on NASA's site they've already taken pictures with that camera and it's tremendous. All right I'll link the the NASA site for the Parker probe too on on the show notes below. Great. Uh, that the picture of the Milky Way is just tremendous. And about three days ago, they turned the cameras around and shot a picture of Earth. And it kind of reminds me of the pale do, the pale blue dot that Sagan showed on his program. Right. And last is the sweep instruments, and these are actually going to measure the physical components of what's there. It's going to measure electrons and ions uh, in the solar wind. One part of the sweep program that I'm particularly impressed with is the solar probe cup. Hmm. Uh, 
everything we've discussed so far, everything is behind this heat shield to be protected from the violent winds and right. stuff going on. This little solar probe cup is actually sticking out of the solar shield. Hmm. So all the all the mean stuff that's coming from the sun is going to be hitting that little cup. And it'll be interesting to see if it survives and how long it survives. <laughs> but this isn't a sample return mission or anything like that either. It's 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 just collecting data from on that probe. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. I, I'm I'm glad. I, I'm really impressed how you described these instruments. You didn't. You said the acronym, but you didn't say what the acronym stood for because usually that's even more confusing. So, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> so th- thank you for the excellent descriptions of those. What's uh, the, what's thank the, you. What's the basic timeline for the mission? Okay, they're, they're calling it seven years. It's actually six years and eleven months is the is when the mission will be completed. Uh, so it's going to make seven. Venus transits and the or Venus flybys and the reason for the flybys is to slow the probe down uh, so it can get into a more round orbit around the sun not so much an eccentric orbit but a more round almost like finding a Lagrange point and putting the sun the probe into a stable orbit around the sun now for our listeners that aren't that familiar can you describe the Lagrange point uh, that that's a point where the force pushing away on an object is equal to the force of it trying to fall into the sun. So it sort of reaches an equilibrium. And once you reach that Lagrange point, you can just stay there forever. Matter of fact, they said if this probe eventually does get destroyed, its electrons will remain for millions of years floating around that point. Wow. Yeah. So for those million people that put their name on the probe in an electronic disk, those electrons that form their names are going to be up there floating around for millions of years after they're gone. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, do you have any additional information I could share with us about the probe? Well, on October 9th, uh, NASA started turning on the fleet of instruments. And everyone worked flawlessly. And within minutes of turning the instruments on, they began detecting a solar flare. And so we know everything's working already. So even though we haven't got there, we know that all the instruments are working. They're measuring at the capacities they're supposed to be and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh so I think I already mentioned that it's made its first Venus flyby. In a couple of days, it's going to reach perihelion. So any time now, I, we can expect to start being able to go on the NASA site and seeing some results of the first flyby. What, what instrument or what science are you most interested in? Well, I, being an imager, I really want to see the pictures of the solar corona. That, that just... I can't wait to see that, but I, I'm also, you know, I keep try to keep up on the, what's going on in the sun, and everybody today is, seems to be thinking that nano flares are the device that is causing the coronal's superheating, 
And that seems to be the consensus, but still we're not sure. And I think this is going to resolve that issue. So just, just knowing that is going to be real comforting. And I'm, I'm hoping that it does indeed help us understand the inner workings of the sun's atmosphere and helps us to be able to predict uh, sometimes catastrophic weather events from the sun. Uh, I mean, if, if we were to get another Carrington event, it could send us back into the dark ages for decades. That's, that's, uh, very, so, that's very true. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, I worked for NASA for years and I don't really remember a solar probe specifically just for the sun. I mean, yeah. a lot of the missions I work on, there's a solar instrument. You know, we'll, we observe the sun, we observe, you know, the, the effects of the solar wind at the Earth and things like that in the ionosphere. And, but a sun-specific instrument, I don't really recall one before this. Wow. I, you know, I think you might be right. I, I, can't, I can't recall either. Uh, I, know, I know Helios went up by Mercury, but I think it was studying Mercury and Venus, yeah, too. No, 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 I think we have Soho things like that so there there have been ones in the past but this this is just a whole different ball game i believe with uh, the parker probe oh yeah this, this is going to be so close to the sun it's actually going to be inside the solar chromosphere it's going to be inside the atmosphere of the sun itself it's a heck of a heat shield <laughs> and yeah and it's going to be close so close that it's going to be able to record what's actually happening there i mean we we don't see the particles until they've streamed away from the sun and they've gone quiescent well relatively quiescent i might add but uh we we've never studied the sun at that level and at that intensity of activity and it's just i think it's going to reap huge rewards i think this is going to be one of the most uh knowledge yielding satellites we've ever sent up probably although cassini i thought was pretty impressive too <laughs> cassini's pretty cool yeah yeah <laughs> the, ro- the rovers are kind of cool too <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah well that's great john um anything else you'd like to add um well no i just like to say thank you to you for affording me the opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about the probe sure i mean i really enjoy sharing the details and the science and the mission i've already presented this parker solar probe presentation a dozen times and in four different states and people just keep inviting me back they're so interested in this i've never seen a a mission that got people wound up like this one did that's fantastic, and you sent me a copy of the of the your presentation you did. So I will also link that in the show notes so people can download it and and oh great and, and see everything that you've talked about and you present. Now, how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to? Okay, well, I have a website. Um, it's called www.ncstargazer.com, which is short for North Carolina Stargazer.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page. Just look up John O'Neill, and I'm the I'm the John O'Neill that'll show up on Facebook 
holding the the, the Delta Four heavy. You're a big guy. Uh, That's great. And the Facebook page for your solar group? Uh, solar Activity, all one word. Just search for that up in the search box, Solar Activity, and then go right there. Yes. Great. Well, are you on the Twitter? Um, no. Okay. All right. Well, John, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a lot of fun. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and uh i I can tell you're you're quite knowledgeable about this stuff too so it's good to to sit down and discuss this stuff with people that know what's going on as well as to bring newcomers into the fold uh at my last presentation at uh at a college here in north carolina had a young boy couldn't have been more than 10 years old and he was asking questions that i could barely understand so (laughs) it's always good to get this stuff out in the open and talk about it and share it with everybody so again thank you for the opportunity to to get on here and talk about it i appreciate it and keep up the fine work with bringing it to the people all right thank you tim all right Well, that'll do it for this episode of the of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank John O'Neill for coming on and giving us a little briefing of the uh, Parker Solar Probe. And like we talked about, if you look down in the show notes, you'll have links to the Parker Solar Probe webpage and also the talks that John has given, uh, all of his slides and everything. So uh, go ahead and check those out. We upload a new episode of the podcast every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. If you decide to give up to $35 a month, you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. With that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his continued generous support of the podcast. Thank you, Steve. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is also in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. If you want to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find the ALPO on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And also the podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 